Thanks for checking out the Christian Life Austin podcast. If this is your first time listening, make sure to check us out at clcaustin.com for more info on how you can connect with us. We trust that you will enjoy today's message. Thank you for listening. I'm speaking tonight on, once again, the basis of a great church. The basis of a great church. The first week, two weeks ago, we talked about joy. You remember joy? I said you may not have an oil well, but if you got a joy well, you're in good shape, all right? Last week, we talked about, we talked about prayer. And we talked about revelation prayer. We prayed the old tabernacle in the wilderness. We prayed the tabernacle prayer. And now tonight, so we talked about joy, we talked about prayer. Tonight, I'm going to speak on grace. The basis of a great church is grace, not judgment. And I want to speak tonight on grace will find you. Because we're going to bring it to you tonight. Grace is going to find you. 2 Samuel chapter 9, you can read the screen. And the king said, Is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? And Ziba said unto the king, Jonathan hath yet a son which is lame on his feet. And the king said unto him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Behold, he's in the house of Machar, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then king David sent and fetched him out of the house. I like that word, fetched him out of the house. He went and just got him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, was coming to David, he fell on his face and did reverence. And David said, Mephibosheth, he called him by name. And he answered, Behold thy servant. And David said unto him, Fear not, for I will surely show kindness, thee kindness for Jonathan thy father's sake, and will restore thee all the land of Saul thy father. And thou shalt eat bread at my table continually. Grace will find you. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor today. Now look up here and say, Pastor, preach to us. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach to us tonight. Let me leave here a better person than what I was when I came in. Shake four hands and you may be seated. God bless. You're awesome people. I love you. His name was Shane. He had wild hair. He wore a t-shirt with holes in it, faded jeans and worn out shoes. He was a girl's dream. This was literally his wardrobe for his entire four years of college. He was very intelligent, kind of esoteric, but very, very bright. He became a Christian while attending college, but across the street from a campus was a well-kept high society, but conservative church. And the people there had tried to develop a ministry to the students in the college next door across the street, but were unable to perform that task successfully. And one day, Shane decided to attend that church. And he walked in with worn shoes, jeans, his T-shirt, and wild hair. The service had already started, so the young man started down the aisle looking for a seat. And the church was completely packed, and he could not find a seat. By now, people are really looking a bit uncomfortable, and no one's saying anything. Shane gets closer to the pulpit, and when he realizes there's no seats, he just squats down Indian style right on the carpet in the middle aisle. 
Although it's perfectly acceptable behavior at a college fellowship, <laughs> this had never happened in this particular highbrow church. But now the people are really uptight and the tension is as thick as it can be. About this time, the minister starts to present his sermon and he realizes that from way at the back of the church, a deacon is slowly making his way towards Shane. And the deacon is elderly with silver gray hair and a three-piece suit. And he would be considered a godly man, very elegant, very dignified, and very courtly. He walks with a cane, and as he starts walking toward the young man, everyone is saying under their breath, you can't blame the elder for what he's going to do because everyone is assuming shame's about to be removed from the aisle position. It takes a long time for the deacon to reach the young man, and the church is utterly silent except for the clicking of the man's cane. And all eyes are focused on the gray-haired gentleman and the misplaced young college student. The minister can't even preach the sermon until the deacon does what he has to do. And now the congregation sees the elderly man drop his cane on the floor. And with great difficulty, he lowers himself and sets down Indian style <laughs> next to Shane so he can worship with him throughout the service. Everyone is choked up with emotion. And when the minister finally gains control, he says, what I'm about to preach, you'll never remember. But what you have just seen, you will never forget. Mephibosheth, the man in our story tonight, would never forget that surprising day in his life. He was old enough to realize, probably five, six years of age, Word quickly spread through the court countryside that King Saul and Prince Jonathan had been killed in a battle called Gilboa and David was now king who was an arch enemy of Saul. And at the house of Jonathan, this not only brought grief, but it brought panic as well. In that day, it was customary that if a king took the throne, he would often eliminate the family of the king that preceded him. And sitting, playing on the floor was little Mephibosheth who was oblivious to it all. Soon his nurse burst into the room and grabbed him and heads toward the door and runs for safety. But in so doing, she drops him, crushing his ankles and crippling him for life. The reason Mephibosheth was crippled for life is because the person who was supposed to take care of him did not do their job. I want to say tonight that God has given me a reason to preach the gospel the way I do and a reason to love people the way I do. Because I can't drop any of you. I've got to take you someplace besides where you are now. And it's important for me to do the very best I can. I can't drop you in the process. And, but Mephibosheth believed that there would never be a day like that so impactful on his life and so affect his future like that day did. And he apparently felt destined for destitution and obviously thought he would live as a pauper instead of a prince. But Mephibosheth would discover that very soon, there would come a day that would make a far greater impact on his life and on his future. And that was the unique day he found a place for grace. See, grace is a dirty word to the devil. And here's the reason why. It is the power beyond, behind the gospel. It is the wonder of the gospel. Such a wonder that compels us why God would reach for somebody like me. And yes, grace is the special distinction of the gospel. No other religion is based upon such a concept. Grace is defined as God's favor that is unearned, that is undeserved, and you can't pay it back. 
Grace is defined as God's favor that is unearned and undeserved and you can't pay it back. This concept is the key to the entire power of the New Testament. See, too often, I put it on the screen, you might want to take a picture of it, we limit it only to the work of salvation in our lives. But grace is power for our lives every day. Every day. When Paul had his thorn in the flesh in Corinthians, he asked for the Lord three times to remove that thorn. And the Lord said to a saved man, my grace is sufficient for you. Grace is still working in your life even though you have been saved from the trespasses of sin. 2 Timothy chapter 2 says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 4 says, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. 2 Peter chapter 3 says, but grow in grace. I love that. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord. In Revelation 22, one of the last verses of the Bible, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. The Bible said the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Do you believe that Jesus wants us to feel his grace in our life tonight? See, legalism is lines. Grace is, an, is a love for somebody that's been captured by the grace of God. I, I serve my parents with grace. I never served my parents from their legalism. Oh, I had curfews. And I had times that I needed to eat something that mama cooked that I didn't like, like liver. But I loved them. I didn't want to disappoint them. Grace is a teacher like nobody else can teach. People that lead legalistic lives always feel defeated and doomed because they can't never get enough of the legalism in their life. But when you have the grace of God, joy fills your life. And joy fills your heart because you're not living from line to line. You're living from earth to glory and you're worshiping a God that saved you out of a miry clay and dug you up and put you on a rock and established your going and he is your heavenly father. Say amen to that. See, Satan strongly desires you to leave the grace of God at the altar of salvation. But God's grace only starts there, then moves to enrich and enable your life. The devil will tell you that from the point of your initial experience of salvation, you must pull yourself up by your own bootstraps and make it on your own strength. But the grace of God is undeserved favor on our lives. And that includes both you and me, and that includes both in salvation and in our life to come after salvation. Clap your hands and rejoice to that right now. Now, I'm not applying. I'm not applying the message of grace today as a means to exempt ourselves from sin. Oh, no. No. When you, when, you, when you go further than grace, you're in lasciviousness. You're lusting after things just because you think that, that grace is a license to sin since God forgives so, so freely. But be it far from your minds. Here's what I want to say. Grace just means that God will do things for us even as we remain undeserving. And hopelessly convinced we can't gain access to his presence. I have, I have taken some people in this church some 26 years ago. And I can look around this audience tonight and I can see some growth in people that's phenomenal. And one of the things that I have seen is understand that we're all going to make mistakes. And we're all going to say stuff that we're sorry for. And we're all going to do things that we're not happy about. And it's going to happen in all of our lives. We're going to think thoughts that we don't like. 
But I want to tell you something. The grace of God is bigger than any problem you've ever had in your life. It's greater. And this feeling of, of, of undeserving, I don't deserve it, I don't deserve it. I know we don't deserve it. That's what makes it grace. You can't earn this. It's the grace of God. David had just subdued his greatest enemies, which included the Philistines and the Moabites and the Syrians. And as he sat in his palace looking back over his past and how he had come from a simple sheep herder in his dad's sheepfold to a king, sitting in that fabulous throne room, no doubt, he was taken by the wonder of God's grace in his life. I believe he began to look for a way that he could pay it forward. And demonstrate the grace of God to someone else that was just as unworthy as he was in his life. That's how grace ought to work in all of our lives. So he came to the conclusion in verse 3 of that chapter 9. Any of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God unto him. Saul was not his friend. He didn't say the house of Jonathan. He said the house of Saul. I want somebody from my enemy's house. I want somebody that tried to kill me for 10 years. I want to show favor to somebody because I was nothing in a sheepfold. And God made my brother stand up until I came from that sheepfold. And Samuel poured a, a six quarts on my head and anointed me with oil and said I was going to be the king. I did not deserve that. I didn't deserve it. So I want to give something to somebody that don't feel like they deserve it either. Because all of us are undeserving. But doesn't it feel good to bask in the presence of God and to know that he loves you in spite of who you are and what you've done in your life? Somebody help me preach tonight. Mephibosheth would soon become the recipient of David's unsuspecting act of grace. And as great as the story may be, there's a deeper story here, and that's God's grace toward us. Everybody say, he loves me. Have you ever said or thought, why me? Why me? At first, you may have been disappointed by some of life's tragedies and difficulties. Why me? You lost your job. Prospects of a future aren't anything but bright, are anything but bright and clear. You were abandoned. Let me get these little tears out of my eyes. I'm not, I'm not weeping, but I got a few tears in my eyes. You were abandoned by family members. And as a result, you feel abandoned and alone. Perhaps you've gone through serious illness. It's touched you or someone you love. And questions loom so boldly about what next. You've lost your sense of direction and purpose in life so that where you're headed is all but certain. You've experienced the death of someone close. And you wonder when the pain and grief will subside. And a grip and fear has overwhelmed you. Fear of the future. Fear grips a lot of people. Fear of death. Fear of ridicule. Fear of suffering. Just fear. We just are overcome with fear sometimes, the phobia of fear. And you, like Mephibosheth, may be asking the Lord, why me? Perhaps your troubles have made you spiritually lame and you can't walk in the Lord the way you used to walk in the Lord because your support systems are broken. Your spirit, your life is out of joint. Maybe you wonder if God has become your enemy. You fear him. You're awed by his power. And in your helplessness, you're running from him, fleeing from his presence as Jonah did one time in the Old Testament. Like Adam in the garden, you said to the Lord, I heard you in the garden, Lord, but I was afraid. So I hid. I was ashamed, Lord. I'm lame. I have no, no business in your presence. And then you heard this call, come stand before me. Come before my throne. 
And you expect the worst. You expect judgment. You expect wrath. But suddenly, you're totally surprised by his grace. He shows you a cross and a man dying in your place, suffering for you. And all the wrath of God for your sins falls upon the man on the cross. And to you, God says, come to me and become one of my sons and one of my daughters. Let me explain, let me explain what grace, that misunderstood attribute of loving God can do for you. I'm telling you, there is nothing. Would you clap your hands like the grace of Almighty God? Nothing. Hallelujah. So I want you to get your pen and paper out if you want to. I'm going to give you seven things. I'm going to give you seven things that God's spoken to my heart about. These are just things that have been in my life for a long, long time. And I just pinned them and put them on paper. The first thing I want you to know about grace is it'll find you first. You don't have to find it. David asked, is there not yet any of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God unto him? See, grace begins in the throne room and it finds us. Remember who's on the throne. A man after God's own heart. And if David looked for somebody to show grace to, he spoke the heart of God. I want to go on record and tell you, I don't care where you come from, what your past is. It's just time to level with yourself, okay? Quit telling yourself you can't come into the presence of God and find his grace. Quit telling yourself that right now. I'm telling you in the name of the Lord, there is power in the name of Jesus. There is healing for your broken past in the name of Jesus. There is victory in the name of Jesus. Somebody ought to rejoice with me right now. There is overcoming strength in the name of Jesus. There is victory in the name of Jesus. And there is grace. Mephibosheth, before he was aware of grace, he was already seeking him out. While we were yet sinners, he loved us. And he died for us. The second thing God's grace will do, it'll remember us. It'll remember us. Forgotten by his nation, abandoned by his family. There was no reason to remember Mephibosheth, so everyone forgot him. All but the king. The king didn't forget him. Who out of God's grace, David remembered this crippled man. A fugitive, living in fear, constantly harboring the dread that one day he'd be found and put to death himself. As a young child carried by his nurse, the one that was supposed to help him dropped him. And he was crippled for life as a result of that accident. And Ziba was quick, one of David's servants, was quick to remind David that Mephibosheth was crippled as if, it, as if this would turn David's heart. Watch this. But David didn't consider the young boy because of what he could get out of him. But he reached out fully motivated by one thing, and that was pure grace. He didn't want something from him. He wanted to give something to him. God's motivation is the same. We can't do anything to enhance an all-knowing, all-powerful God because most of us have messed up too much. We've gone too far too often. We feel we've crossed too many bridges, and then we burned them behind us. Yet the king remembers us with loving arms of compassion, and he reaches out to us and brings us into his presence. I'm telling you, grace is for everybody in this house tonight. The third thing that grace does is it pursues us. 
Grace chases us. Mephibosheth was found in Lodabar. Now let me talk to you about Lodabar. It means no pasture. It means it was barren. There was no cows grazing there. There was no sheep there grazing. It was a barren place. It was a place where people went to hide out. It was a desolate place. It was a place for the destitute. And God does not care where you are or where you have been. He will continue to pursue you. He really will. Ask the prodigal son. Grace found him in a pig pen. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go home. Ask Joseph. Grace found him in a pit. His brothers had put him there. But Grace got him out and elevated him to second in command in the country of Egypt. Ask the Samaritan woman. She found Grace at a well at high noon because she couldn't go to the well at evening like the other maids to draw water. She was so ashamed of who she was. But at high noon, she met Jesus and Grace found her at a well and she brought a whole city to Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, Grace still works. It'll pursue you. God is sending out messengers of grace right now. He can't wait. God just can't wait till Sunday. He can't wait till next time we gather together for an altar appeal. He can't wait because he's going to bring people in by the droves. You watch this Easter. You watch this Easter Sunday. We're going to have all kinds of people because when you preach something, God's going to let your word come back to you. He said, cast your bread on the water and after many days it shall return. Ten days from now, we're going to see people of all races, all nationalities, all spiritual impetus, all kinds of people going to walk in this door and grace is going to pursue them. Grace will find you. Grace remembers you and it pursues you. And the fourth thing that grace does is it carries you. Wow. Mephibosheth couldn't help himself. He couldn't reach David. So David sent men to carry him. I would bring Reed up here and have some men carry him, but we're not going to do that tonight. Then I could bring Octavius, and we're not going to do that either. But God's grace is not dependent upon my ability. It's dependent solely on his ability and his power. When you can't walk any farther, his grace will carry you. When you can't believe anymore, his grace will carry you. When you're too weak and frail, his grace will carry you. He told Paul, he said, hush, my grace is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 12 and 9. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. You know what? You can't do this by yourself. You're not that tough. You're not that big. You're not that mean. You, don't, you brush your teeth too much. You don't have that bad of a breath. You can't do this by yourself, but when you fall in the arms of the Lord Jesus Christ. Come here, big old. Come here, son. Come here. I want you to do something. And if you do it wrong, you'll never be called on again. <laughs> you see this guy right here? I'm going to call him Grace. I'm going to call him Grace. Okay, stand here, Octavius. Stand right here. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to walk away from you. Now, Octavius, I'm going to trust you. Because this is the way some of us do sometimes. Here I come, Oct. Get ready. Get your, are your hands out, Octavius? Sometimes we just faint. Sometimes we stumble. 
sometimes we get dizzy and just fall. But grace! If he can represent grace, what do you think Jesus Christ can do with you? When you're stumbling, when you're bumbling, when you're falling, when you're hurt, when you're sick, trust him, trust him. He'll carry you. Thank you, son. He'll carry you. Wow, wow, wow. I know it's maybe not your best that I've preached to you, but I'm telling you, it's pretty good for midweek when school's out and everybody's gone. Grace, everybody say, find you. Say, it remembers me. It pursues me. It carries me. Number five, grace is where you abandon your crippled past. It's when you say, I can do this because his grace is sufficient. David had summoned, but it was up to Mephibosheth to respond. Although grace is offered to us, it's up to us to embrace it. However, as great as God's power is, embracing this grace means letting go of our crippled past. I want to speak to every ex-alcoholic tonight. I want to speak to every ex-drug addict tonight. I want to speak to every person that has committed too many sins morally tonight. I want to talk to you right now. And if you don't hear me live, I want you to hear this tape. God's grace is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. I'm telling you, you can abandon that crippled life because of the grace of God. You don't have to be who you were before. The grace of God can change you to what he can make you today and make you tomorrow. You don't have to go back to that strong drink. You don't have to go back to those drugs. You don't have to go back to that immoral living. Hallelujah. David was a bloody man. He was a bloody man, but we serve a bloody savior. The king that we serve died for us so that we wouldn't have to go back to the life that we once lived. Let me go a little further. You could abandon that cripple mentality. You don't have to be bitter any longer. You don't have to hold grudges any longer. You don't have to hate any longer. You don't have to have fear any longer. Mephibosheth called himself a dead and meaningless individual because he saw no value in himself, because his mind played tricks on him. It wasn't just his crippled life. It was his crippled mind. He couldn't believe that somebody would show him favor because of who he thought himself was. But when you get into the presence of the king, oh, 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 hallelujah. I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my heart rolled away. You can be healed of your past. You can be healed of a past mental state. There's even people that's had all kinds of mental difficulties. You can be healed in the name of the Lord from your mental crippled mentality. Everyone here, look at your neighbor and say, you have value to God. Let me tell you, you're a precious jewel. You're a redeemed child. He loves you and he wants you to understand you can turn around 
when you feel the grace of God in your life. Hallelujah. 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 I'm no longer a slave to fear. I am a child of God. The sixth thing that grace does, not only does it find, remember, pursue, carry, and abandon, grace is where you discover who you were born to be. Now that's tough. I don't care who wrote it. That's tough. If a visiting preacher was here preaching that, you'd say, wow, what a revelation. But I'm telling you, your pastor, like an old house shoe, 21, 26 years I've been here. I'm telling you, grace is where you discover who you were born to be. There's people with callings on their life in this church. There's people that have allowed problems to destroy a gift that God has placed in your spirit. And you will never be happy until you realize that God's got something for me to do. I've got a place in the kingdom. There's something for me to accomplish. God didn't put me here. I can't, I, I, I can, I'll never get away from the conversation I had with this fine young man when I asked him to come on board and be our men's leader and be our men's pastor. And Octavius said, Pastor, I've been waiting on this conversation for a long time. You know why? Because somewhere deep in his spirit, he knew that there was a key that was going to turn one day. There was a key that was going to be embarking something in his life. And I've never seen a young man turned on with passion so greatly in my life as he has been turned on with passion the last month and a half, two months. Here's what I'm telling you. Grace is where you discover who you were born to be. You were born to be good husbands. You were born to be good wives. You were born to be obedient children. You were born to be overcomers. You were born, you were made in the image of Almighty God. Hell had nothing to do with your creation. You belong to deity. You belong to heaven. You belong to the kingdom of God. You're not of this world. You're just walking through this world. This world is not your home. You're headed to another place. Some of you new people are saying, Lord, you're losing your mind tonight, Pastor. Oh, you wait till I lose it. I'll lose it one night, not tonight. But I want people to see and discover who you were born to become. As a boy, Mephibosheth pretended what it would be like to be royalty that he was born to be. But time had taken those dreams away and we too were born to royalty in the kingdom of God, but sin dethroned us. Let me tell you two things that God wants you to have. He wants you to have a royal position with him. Not only was Mephibosheth given a position of royalty, watch this, he was given a position of family. In verse 11 of chapter 9, he said, he's going to sit at my table as one of the king's sons. Not a servant, a son. Wait a minute, Saul was your arch enemy, that's his grandson. Yeah, he's going to be my son. Is that royalty or what? Is that a position of honor or what? And not only was it a royal position, it was a perpetual position because he said he's going to eat at my table, verse 7, continually. (laughs) So when you have a bad Monday, you still get to eat with the Lord. 
When you have a tough Tuesday, you still get to have lunch with Jesus. When you have a tough Wednesday, you still get to be in the presence of the Lord. When you have a tough Thursday, it's going to be all right. I'm helping some young couples here tonight. I'm helping some people that are new in Christ tonight. I'm telling you, you are continually a son of God, and you continually get to eat at the table of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Everybody say he finds us. He remembers us. He pursues us. He carries us. It's in his grace we abandon our past. And it's in his grace we discover who we were born to be. Wow, 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 wow. Wow. I used to go to a church when I was in my second year of college (laughs) that had a prayer room that just loved to pick on me. I was a 19-year-old kid, and I was one of those kids that were submitted. You know, I wanted God. I chased God. And that's not nothing big. I just wanted God to be in my life, you know. It wasn't like women were chasing me down or anything like that. I didn't have a problem with that. I couldn't hardly, I didn't have the nerve to ask anybody to go out with me. Patty had to ask me to date her, you know. I'm teasing. But I'd go to that prayer room. I'd go to that prayer room. And, and there would be other, other young men in that prayer room that was seeking God. But when I'd walk in that prayer room, they'd jump on me like chickens plucking one that was wounded. <laughs> I mean, they'd, they'd attack me. One night I had some search in my pocket right here, just a roll of search. And one old boy came over and just, God, bless this young and bless him, God, bless him. He was trying to drive a nail of search through my heart. I would walk out of the prayer room having to go take a shower. I lived in the back of the church at that time because I was trying to get through school. I was working. Don't feel sorry for me. It's part of my life that I I just rejoice in. I thought, and I was scared to death. I, I was one of those kids that was scared of churches. So I would, I would double lock the doors and I'd put knives through and stick them through. I'd, I'd put all kinds of capes knives in that door so if somebody broke the lock, they'd have to break through the knives also. You know what I'm saying? But I wanted something from God so bad. And God realized that. And he had me attacked every time I went in the prayer room. The piranhas got me. And not long ago, I had one of those old prayer partners in the prayer room call me. And he said, Brother X, how you doing? I said, man, I'm doing good. I said, I'm away from you. Hallelujah. I'm doing good. (laughs) And then the next line out of his mouth was, you remember them prayer meetings we used to have in the prayer room? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, brother, I do. Man, you got blessed in those, didn't you? (laughs) Yeah, I did. But you know what? God was doing something in my life that I didn't have any clue what he was doing, but he was creating something that I always desired to be. He was giving me the person that I wanted to become, even though search were being driven into my heart. God 
touches us and we discover who we were born to be. And the last point I want to preach tonight is simply this. God is where you embrace his favor. Grace is where you embrace God's favor. You understand. See, when you really truly get a glimpse of grace, when you get a glimpse of grace, you start embracing God's favor in your life. You really do. But Phoebusheth wasn't receiving grace on the basis of what he had done. But it was on the basis of what Jonathan, his father, had done. The scripture says David did the great things for Jonathan, your father's sake. Stay with me now. Likewise, we're not receiving God's favor on grounds of our goodness or our works, but on the basis of the work of Calvary. And this is my greatest statement that I'm going to give to you tonight, and I hope it never leaves your mind. Grace is God's reward at Christ's expense. That's what it is. Grace is simply God's reward at Christ's expense. Mephibosheth lived in the grace of his father. His father paid the price for it. And we live in the grace that Jesus paid the price for. In the abundance of his inheritance. In the favor of the only begotten son. Not based on our merits, but on the merits of the master. Would you clap your hands and say thank you Lord for grace. Thank you Lord for grace. Brother Randy if you'll help me. G. Campbell Morgan, Dr. Morgan, an outstanding minister and writer, was approached by a miner one day working in a coal mine who said he had trouble believing that he could just receive forgiveness so easy. Stay with me now. The miner told Dr. Morgan, it's just too cheap. Forgiveness is just too cheap. Dr. Morgan asked if he had worked in the mine that day. And the miner said, yes, I had. He said, how did you get out of the pit? And the miner said, the way I usually do, in the cage. And Dr. Morgan said, how much did you pay to come out of the pit? And the miner said, well, nothing. And Dr. Morgan said, weren't you afraid to trust the cage because you had paid nothing? And the miner said, oh, it wasn't cheap. You see, sir, it cost the company a lot of money to sink that shaft. And all of a sudden, it hit that miner's mind and he fell to his knees and gave his heart to the Lord right there that day because he realized forgiveness is not cheap on my part. It is cheap on my part, pardon me, but it's expensive on the Lord's part because it cost a whole lot to pay the ransom so you and I could find forgiveness. Folks, let me tell you something. Calvary is phenomenal. Calvary is awesome. Why in the name of God did all the disciples leave except John? Why? Why? They were seeing the greatest history ever recorded in books, in testimonies, in words. Jesus dying on a cross. They were seeing it. And only John showed up. Peter and John showed up at the tomb, but only John was there. And Jesus said, John, behold your mother. Behold your son. And John took Mary home. I wish all of us could get a fresh glimpse of the cross. I 
I've never been tried to be a preacher that preached to how people running and jumping and going around the church, but I've always tried to preach something that would settle in your spirit and cause you to think and not just react, but think. And I want you to go home tonight, and I want you to lay there, and I want you to stare at the ceiling just for a little while, and I want you to think of the price that was paid. Forgiveness is costly. But he paid a price so we wouldn't have to. And he's calling us to grace. He's calling us to forgiveness. Why don't we let this be the best 10 days of our life this year? Amen. Why don't we let it happen? And that concludes today's message. Please visit clcaustin.com for the latest news, to register for an upcoming event, or to support the Christian Life Ministry through our online giving portal. Thank you for listening.